Hello and good day to you, listener of the Boney Island Whitefish. I am Andrew, and I'm here with Riley to discuss episode 5 of season 5 of the TV show Bones on this, the fifth episode of the Boney Island Whitefish. Indeed. Hello. Uh, I am glad to be here once again on the Boney Island Whitefish talking about season five of the show Bones. Uh, the tagline, of course, is the only season of Bones discussed by the Boney Island Whitefish. And as far as I know, the only season that exists. Yes, exactly. As will, as will continue to happen uh, in this, more characters will be introduced from previous seasons that I will not recognize. Uh, everyone will speak to them like well, I'm supposed to know who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, and that's, experience, the experience of watching season five of the show Bones and only season five of the show Bones is quite a bit like the experience of um, trepanning yourself at a friend's birthday party and then having to try and relearn the names of everyone who's there, figure out why everyone seems to be giving one another gifts and how you're supposed to get home. It's uh, very similar to being lead character FBI agent Seely Booth at the very beginning of season five of uh, Bones, where you wake up from a coma and try and figure out what the fuck is going on. Yeah, Bones is just, it's, it's art. It's art that's designed not um, to try and make American people feel as though cops are uh, perfect, forensically gifted superhumans who have sort of 20-20 insight when it comes to wild guessing and therefore just assume that they're th- at the A, they're there to solve bad murders and B, that they're always going to do that solving. No, it's actually a way to experience coma brain. <laughs> That sweet phenomenon. Coma brain. Yes, it's been quite a week uh, in the United States and around the world of mass protests kicked off um, by yet more police murders of unarmed black people, which is, I guess, a thing that um, we're all extremely familiar with at this point. I feel like we were all extremely familiar with it decades ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, still going strong, though, and... It kind of feels like people have really had enough. Yeah. And, yeah, we're starting to get, um, you know, mass protests, in some cases riots as a result of, you know, the the instigation of violence by the police at all of these events. Um, Protests in all 50 states across the United States. In Europe, too. Uh, In Europe. um, Paris, showing them how to burn stuff. Uh, Showing them what's up when it comes to protesting. Mm-hmm. I will say, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you yourself have spoken about this in the past, but uh, you got to say that the French, they know how to protest. Um, the French, they know the how French to are, keep the authorities on their toes. The, the French are basically, when it comes to protesting, I think the French saw what was going on and were like, ah, we have to remind everyone where they, look, we're against hierarchy. That's why we're protesting, except in one form which is we're for the hierarchy of who's good at protesting. And we must remind you, we are on top of it. Absolutely. Uh, they do go hard when it comes to that. We, we are in risk of losing the protest cup, they said. Myth. Um, well, it, it makes me think of like uh, this, this headline I saw in a news article ages ago, which was like, you know, the, the French have like uh, 
vacation time and healthcare and holidays from their jobs and they have all these really great conditions. So why are they so quick to riot in the streets about things? And I was like, hmm, it's almost like your question has been answered within the very headline that you wrote. <laughs> um, because they will go out and destroy their own city at uh, the first attempt by the authorities to take away rights. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, not a lot of people not a lot of people know this, but um, the reconstruction of Paris by Barrett Hausman was made possible when a member of the gendarmerie tried to give a uh, a fine to someone selling fruit from a cart illegally, and then Paris burned down. And that's how you do it. Yep. Um, of course, I will not let the opportunity go by for somebody to write in and yell at me saying, hey, what about all of France's problems with structural racism and immigration? <laughs> but you get what we're trying to say. Yes. yes. Uh, what we're trying to say is that there have been six straight days and nights of protests, uh, riots, looting. And finally, it seems like the authorities and states are starting to do some things like say, maybe we should charge the people that we filmed doing murders with murder. Mm. And that's all mm. it took. And maybe, yes, <laughs> all it took was a absolute coast to coast pandemonium of people saying, please, please stop killing us enough. Mm. So, um, I guess it's relevant in the context of things that are going on to talk about the fact that this show like so many other shows uh is part of a vast web that has been woven by the american entertainment complex of cop propaganda mm -hmm. it's all about telling you about how incredibly competent the police are and that they never get anything wrong and that they never arrest the wrong person and they don't really have any need to apologize for anything yeah, weirdly, I think the show Bones actually is strangely honest about police in just one way, which is that they make a bunch of wild guesses backed up by nothing and, and bring people in for questioning and threaten them basically semi-randomly just based on whoever hoves into view. And that's a little bit accurate, except um, <laughs> on the show Bones, they're not racist. And that's a big difference. Or at least they're not well, portrayed as racist. Yes. Uh, they are portrayed as racist, but they're not portrayed as racist by the standards of 2009. Uh, it's very complicated, but suffice to say that the sh shows like Bones and also Criminal Minds and also Law and Order are basically hour-long uh, examples of the police doing what people imagine the police to do. No one gets uh, an administrative fine. Um, for say no no one ends up in the judicial system for missing one administrative fine and then and spiraling into a record of other fines that eventually get upgraded to felonies that eventually and get railroaded through cash bail systems and so on and so on it portrays the police as hyper competent protectors of the public who are stopping criminals who are doing crimes because of their own evil or nefariousness or plans or what have you and it's there, and I always say, this is something I've said on Trash Future a lot, which is that people learn, have more, for, people form more of their assumptions about how the economy works from the show Friends than they do from any work on economics. Because they think, oh, well, this is what your life should be like. This is what job you should have. This is how you should spend your time. Because this is just how you're passively consuming culture. And people form a lot more of their opinions on how the justice system works from 
uh, a combination of, of shows like, yeah, Bones and CSI and so on, which basically shows the police as there to intervene in exceptional circumstances when uncalculably evil people decide to be evil and they're there to stop and punish and so on. And it is do and doing that has made these shows in particular, I think, have made the um, process of defunding the police because the police in these shows always have incredibly expensive technology that they use to keep people safe. Their expensive technology is never like an M1 Abrams tank that they can buy for $20. Um, right. And so if you think about this. These shows make it very easy for people to consistently vote to increase police budgets, to increase police powers, because they portray them as very cuddly and competent, and like they, that they only use their power in exceptional circumstances to protect. And obviously that's not true. Fortunately, especially shows like Bones and Criminal Minds are very, very, very stupid, and it's very easy <laughs> to see where this like rank copaganda and bad writing kind of intersect and then there and thereby um uh take up the mantle of the oz mocker and mock it gonna mock it so hard yeah i mean um there, there are so many examples out there uh and a lot of them extremely silly i still remember um I still remember seeing an episode of CSI or like a little chunk of an episode of CSI because like many things, that show was not my bag. Um, and in it, I want to I wanna say that David Caruso's character was named Horatio in that show. Yeah, Horatio. God damn it. That's so fucking stupid. Um, so they're, they're looking at security footage. Horatio of- Kane. <laughs> God damn it. No, no cop has ever had a name that cool. Um, so so they're, they're looking at like footage uh, from a security camera, which as we know is like the vast majority of the time, extremely low resolution, you know, and it's something happening in a car park. And but the problem is that the suspect is facing away from the camera the whole time. And so uh, they say, hey, zoom in. And enhance the image, uh, you know, so they, they make a section of it larger and then they somehow magically turn that into a sharp uh, high definition photograph, which is physically impossible. And then they're like, look at the the reflection of, of the paint in the car next to the suspect. And they're like, see that little blur there? Zoom in on that and enhance it and then we'll reshape it and we can see a perfect photo of the suspect's face. Mm-hmm. And they're like, done. Aren't we clever? <laughs> and, and, and like... And we could, I was going to say, we could see a perfect photo of one of the leaders of the uh, 2014 Ferguson protests uh, yes. in the paint. <laughs> yeah, and um, it's, it's just that kind of thing to me. That memory always stands out for me as being like the hallmark in my mind of, of this type of TV show, of CSI, of Bones... Um, of a lot of this sort of stuff where you can watch them on the show portray it as very clever this process by which they create evidence out of whole cloth they mm-hmm. just completely invent stuff and then assign a motive to it or a suspect or whatever um, yeah. as a result 
And we've got some doozies of that today. <laughs> we do. In episode five of Bones. I mean, before we I... go on to the episode of Bones, I do want to say yeah. one more thing on this intro section, okay. which is that I think these shows are designed to make you feel like you live in a panopticon and that the panopticon's there to keep you safe, but it's a panopticon. You're always being watched. They'll always, you'll always be found. You'll never get away with anything, but no one who ever tries to do anything to you will get away with anything. And they make that panopticon with a combination of technology and availability of a team of seven detectives for each crime who are going to be there working on it full time, who are going to use just magic, basically, to be able to conclude anything based on anything. So it's, that's what these shows are designed to do. And that's well, what they were successful at for a long time. And I think it's the pointing out that it, it creates a virtual panopticon is, I think, important. Very much. And because, you know, so much of the time it relies on them saying, hey, check for security cameras down the street from here and all that sort of stuff. Scrape all the footage from them. And it makes me think of even the more sort of um, even things that I would say that people consider a bit more serious than this kind of stuff, even though it's not like um, like the Jason Bourne movies, you know, mm-hmm. um, things like that, which are more serious in tone, probably you're probably supposed to take them a bit more serious than this. But even those present the reality that you're living in as, hey, at any given time, somebody from the government can say, I want to know where this person is or where they were, or I am looking within a range of city blocks and I want to be able to say, scrape every piece of footage from every security camera in this area, every closed circuit television, Every, everything at a train station, at a bus stop, at city, city security, like store security cameras, all that sort of stuff. And run your facial recognition over it and let me know when you get a hit. When you get a hit, you know, of like people passing through an airport or a bus station, whatever it might be. And the only distinction that they ever make in the movies is that bad guys use that stuff for nefarious means, whereas virtuous people use it for good reasons. It's, it's never a question of, should it be like that? Mm-hmm. Should there actually, like, should everywhere that you go be absolutely coded in security cameras? Should they be able to turn on a thing inside your phone that lets them see everywhere that you're walking at every moment of the day, all that sort of stuff? It is solely, what are the morals and virtues of the person who is accessing the information? Mm-hmm. Um, and as we know from anything to do with, say, real cops anywhere on the face of the planet, when you give people unfettered access to all of this type of thing, it will inevitably be abused. It's almost the first thing that seems to happen. Exactly. Um, I mean, we have case after case in Australia of um, the police in different states and territories using, like, using their access to these systems to do things like find the new address of a domestic violence victim and give it to their ex-partner who is the cop's friend. Mm-hmm. Just great stuff like that. So isn't it good that the people at the uh, Jeffersonian Institute for Wild Assumptions? Um, I, I still, I've been thinking. I've been calling it the yeah the Jeffersonian um, the Jeffersonian Medical Criminal Institute for Sexual Harassment is one that yes. I would like to continue saying. Very good. I was well, I was trying to remember what that was from the previous yes. episode. The Institute for Sexual Harassment, which will continue on in depth in this episode, and I would like to at this point say the name of this episode. Oh, you can tell they they spent a while naming this one. 
<clears throat> Here we go. A night at the Bones Museum. <laughs> cool. <laughs> now, that works on so many levels because, get this, number one, the name of the show is Bones. Number one, got it. Number two, aspects of this episode take place in a museum. What? They've done... Two, number there could be a third element. Number three, there is a popular uh, series of movies called A Night at the Museum. Hmm. Number four, <laughs> this museum has ancient artifacts in it. Uh, and some of those are dead people. You might think of it as a bones museum. Number five... There's a the fifth? name of the very television show that you were watching It's Bones See, this is why This is why uh, Hart Hansen Deserves his like you know, Collection of Lamborghinis, I assume Because you, How do you write this stuff? How do you come up with it? A Night at the Bones Museum It's a, it's well, a perfect title You can tell that writers Carla Kettner And Josh Berman uh, Earned their money that day God damn. So, um, this one is a doozy. Well, if I may, actually, this is... There, I, I, there are three episodes of Bones Season 5 that I refer to as the pinnacle. and <laughs> The apex. The apex of Bones Season 5, and they all occur in sequence. This is... This, this one is not the pinnacle. It's the first of the pinnacle. It's the, it's the mini-boss. It's the first of the triad. Where we are about to hit the heights uh, and uh, of truly ascending ludicrousness. And a night at the Bones Museum, as we will, f- <laughs> will find out, is, is, is a, a, big, a sharp uptick that's going to lead us <sighs> to the pinnacle next week. My goodness. So um, we begin setting the scene at a power plant at nighttime. We have your typical bumbling security guard. Mm-hmm. Not like patrolling the, the grounds. Yeah. Not a real cop. No. Goddamn renter cop. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's doing the thing that we all do when we're patrolling the power plant late at night. He is flicking coins at the electric fence. That's right. Just throwing Watch money the sparks away. Happen. That's Literally, the real crime. <laughs> you know that all uh, night shift security guards get paid so much that they can yeah. literally spend the whole shift throwing money away. I'm gonna I'm gonna spend five dollars and quarters whipping them at an electric fence. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they pay you overtime for. Yeah. So um, he's flicking these things at the fence. Uh, big showers of sparks are going off, but he sees a figure. It illuminates a figure mm. on the fence. A spooky figure, mm. one might say. Yes. Uh, uh, this freaks him out. He pulls out his torch and shines it at the shriveled corpse. Hanging up on the electric fence. (gasps) He uh, somehow falls backwards, whips his own flashlight away from him, which lodges itself into the electric fence, Uh uh, pointing in a fun way at the corpse on the fence. That's right. Now, there's a fun bit of um, whatever the fuck is happening involved here. When he stands up, goes to retrieve his flashlight... (laughs) From the fence, immediately electrocuting himself. He's just been whipping quarters at it. I know, but also... He knows it's electric. Does he have coma brain also? But also, the flashlight, which is made out of metal 
and wedged into the electric fence is totally fine. It keeps running. It's not throwing off any sparks like the coins were. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally fine. Waiting for him to grab a hold of it, get shocked, uh, and fall over and go. Yay! I've been shocked. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I, I I love my copaganda to include um, cartoon cartoonish uh, hijinks when they discover a dead body. Yeah, more like um, I think Law and Order would have been improved by more sort of pratfalls during the yeah. discovery of the corpse at the start of the episode. Someone oh, tripping over it, you know. You just like uh, their eyes bulging out like in the mask could be great. Ooh. So um, we then cut to the FBI office of Agent Sealy Booth. Welcome to the B plot. Welcome to the underwhelming B plot, where. The assistant director of the FBI is here to hit on Bones, and he is played by Oswald from the Drew Carey Show. <laughs> That's right. Well, we're just going to call him Assistant Director Oswald. Assistant Director Oswald is here. Um, now, there are just some pearls of dialogue in oh, this I, scene. I, I've recorded some as well. I want to see what you've recorded, see if maybe we got the same ones. Uh, so as he's talking to Bones, he says, I just want you to know I realize how busy you are being an author and a scientist. <laughs> it's like you read, read someone's Wikipedia page to like message them on a dating app. Wow, an author and scientist. How do you find the time? Mamma mia. Um, you like, know, like, he all, says, all the dialogue in this section sounds like it's like pre-scripted audience lines from an infomercial. It's great. Not everyone can make crushing someone to death charming. I mean, a cop could. <laughs> or at least a cop would try to. I mean, that's kind of T- what copaganda does. It's trying to make that seem charming. A TV show uh, cop could yeah. do. Um, he continues on, the Bureau is grateful to her for all of her help. And mm-hmm. he hopes she is pleased with Agent Booth because, quote, he's the best we've got. That's, that's uh, right. Booth is very flattered. But Brennan, Temperance Bones Brennan, mm-hmm. uh, replies in her in the manner of the precocious thirteen-year-old. I agree that the statement is impossible to quantify, since there are no other agents partnered with forensic anthropologists, let alone one with my abilities. I I really love right that they sort of flex how weird Bones is based on how urgent the plot is to move forward. Like, mm. her inability to read social cues and understand what people are actu- actually mean when they talk. Like, if they have to, like, run from someone or if they're investigating a crime scene, that never comes up. No, it's it's only during the B and C plots will she be like, uh, actually, according to my calculations, uh, you don't know if it's a good morning or not because it's actually not morning in Australia. Like, it only ever happens in the B and C plot. It never happens during the investigation. Yes, it does yeah. absolutely fly back and forth between she is either um, effectively just, you know, a normal investigator or she is the um, the kid that Bruce Willis has to rescue in Mercury Rising. Um, uh, yeah. It's, it's, oh, it's very, very up and down. Also, it, this is another one of these first draft things where it's like yeah. <laughs> they, the, the, the writers were just like, okay, let's see. What would Bones have said in her book and how would you praise a book about a crime? Ah, crushed to death. Let's say he's making someone crushed to death sound charming. But if you think about that for a second, just a, just a moment's reflection, it's like what – what on earth could that be referring to? Like, uh, ah, a charming section in a book where someone is, like, again, 
cr- crushed to death in a way that's hot like what on earth could you be referring to the classic first draft thing yeah uh and and it also just uh, i don't know every time a bit of like this comes up my wife immediately says is this part that's meant to be funny is this some of the comedy you know yeah so um so basically yeah it's funnier than either of us with our uh comedy shows could ever be Yep. So they uh, so they shit all over uh, Booth right in front of him, mm-hmm. and then um, uh, Bones and Booth have to head off towards this crime scene. Yeah. See this withered corpse, and uh, Bones says, "Director Hacker wants to have sex with me." Mm-hmm. Which is again, yeah, that that very normal way to speak about relationships. Absolutely. Uh, to which um, you know Booth says, "Oh, he said that." Wait, it's assistant director because he's he's very concerned about all of this. Um, uh-huh. Booth is basically begging her not to to boss cuck him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think it would be very funny if she did. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. That'd be I really agree. funny. There was like <laughs> it's like I'm gonna fuck your boss, and there's nothing you can do about it, and uh, you have to clean the sheets afterward. Fuck you, Booth. <laughs> Um, yeah, one of these uh, classic love triangles where one person is like, hey, you shouldn't have a relationship or have sex with anybody else because I'm interested in you, but I will never be admitting to that. Oh, no, of course not. Which is very cool. Yeah. So they arrive, uh, they take a look uh, at this thing hanging up and uh, Cam is there. She says, the victim seems to have fried Local cops think a radical environmental group did it. That's right. I'm sure they do. Uh, because they hug up, a, there's a sign hung up beside the, the corpse that says, Big Energy is Killing the Planet. Which is. The rules. Yeah, which is great. Just, just, I'm not, just entering the brains of the writers of this episode of Bones. They were like, all right, they need to find this corpse, but it's not, but they need to, like, it needs to be a reason for it to be up on this fence. Just, yes, you, just, yes. Just, just basically having... It's, it's, it's strange. It's almost like outsider art where they're just putting words on a page to fill time. I, you, can, you can best see certain episodes of Bones in season five, and this is one of them, more as a piece of Dadaism that's trying to be propaganda. But it yep. is pure Dadaism. Now, as we said again, we've got to think about this in the context of the year 2009... This is uh, post the election of Obama. We are in the euphoric liberal America. Mm-hmm. Um, yet still, when asked, who do co- cops hate? The answer, these fucking people who want the planet to not burn to a cinder. Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, to be uh, fair, they so did hate that. That's right. Uh, because, the, uh, Cam says, last week, apparently, these, these environmentalists torched a hummer. Uh, to which Bone says, seems to be a poor way to get sympathy for your cause. Fuck off, Bones. <sighs> so, um, Sweets turns up with his big teeth, uh, getting <laughs> yeah, all upset right. about something. He says, Dr. Brennan, do you have a moment? To which Bone says, no, I am at a crime scene. <laughs> also, <where laughs> he's just arrived out of nowhere at a crime scene. He drive halfway across the city. How do they all? How are they all constantly like triangulating to each other's locations? Mm-hmm. That's what uh, I plot. don't understand. They have plot they're all, devices. They're all theoretically supposed to have like separate, independent jobs. 
from each other, you know? Mm-hmm. But the answer is plot, like you said. So basically, um, Sweets is there because he wants his girlfriend, Daisy, who I am not familiar with. Uh, who's just, but who's just brought up as though you, she's a character we all know and love. And for all we know, she might be. She might be. We, yeah, we have no the, idea. The implication from this uh, conversation is that she is a different or perhaps similar type of socially fucked up to Bones. Mm-hmm. Um, Bones does not like her. No. Uh, and, and Sweets basically wants her to be an intern, wants Bones to give her another chance. Yes. Um, you know. So they come over and they have a look at this corpse. And they're like, Wow. Look at this withered corpse. Uh, and mm-hmm. Bones does what we would all do in this situation. She does a Give big a little, fat line of the body. Give it a little sniff, you know? Roll up a $5 note. Get down on that bad boy. <laughs> big yep, sniff. That's right. That's right. She then immediately tells everyone else, smell. <laughs> One word. <laughs> smell. Smell this corpse. Uh, they give it a sniff. Booth declares that it smells like Christmas. To yeah. which... Bone says, it's frankincense and myrrh. This victim died over 3,000 years ago. This is an Egyptian mummy. Welcome to season five of Bones. There is an Egyptian mummy hung up on a fence out at a power plant. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. You ever get the feeling when you're watching Bones that, uh, like you said, first draft, somebody thought of an idea that they Mm. thought would be kind of interesting. And then they spend literally the entire episode... Um, reverse engineering a conclusion that they think will be moderately acceptable. Yes, that's exact, exactly what happens. Because, again, that's the very premise of looking at mid to late stage procedural shows because they need to keep it fresh somehow. So, like, okay, what if um, what if there's a mummy? Let's go. We're free-flowing ideas here. It's a mummy. And what if the mummy... Uh, uh, what if the mummy is evidence? And, and they, just, they, just, they just riff based on that. And then an episode of Bones happens. And then they're paid, like, $45,000 because that's how much it costs for a 60-minute episode of television that's produced by a major network. Um, and that's what's up. Also, now, I like that they notice there are uh, spurts of fresh arterial blood on the mummy. Like, what? So there, so the mummy may have died 3,000 years ago, but someone, there's, someone was killed near the mummy. Um, and number one, <laughs> wild assumption. <laughs> number two, uh, that, that Booth says uh, very seriously in serious music plays, so what you're saying is that the mummy killed someone? Crystal method. And then they just immediately hit us with that crystal method. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, this love, is I, the the one true crystal method addiction. Yeah, I, I, I love I love just yeah the the mummy killed someone. Serious music. It's like it's like in the second episode. Was like wait. So you're saying your cat could kill you? Serious music. They, um, I, I immediately wrote down, I am so excited for them to come back from the theme playing, from like the opening credits playing, to immediately say, so the mommy didn't kill anybody. Like, it was just a thing that they, like, again, that they have clearly set up through this first draft of writing this opening scene to say, what if the mummy was there, but also the mummy had someone's blood all over it, as mm-hmm. though the mummy had stabbed someone. And then they can say... What are you saying? This three thousand year old mummy killed someone. 
Which, like, I guess I'm kind of imagining that they sort of think to themselves, ah, we have cleverly set up through the way that evidence works, through the way that we understand evidence to work. Um, we have cleverly set up that, you know, there's, there's blood on this mummy as though the mummy had been standing directly in front of someone who was stabbed and the, and the, the blood splatter on the thing is like it was an arterial thing. So, like, to all external appearances, it looks like the mummy killed someone and then they have to go and find out who really killed someone because it couldn't have been the mummy. It's like yeah, no one thought to, it was the fucking mummy. They have to get no the mummy off. No one thought it was the fucking, like... No one thought it was the inanimate object. Yeah. Well, the funny <sighs> thing is, the, the idea of we have to exonerate this mummy from having committed the crime <laughs> actually does come up later. So, um, so we're back at the lab. Uh, they're saying that Booth ha- hasn't found any victims of stabbings or anything. There's no one at any hospitals or emergency mm-hmm. rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like us. the police can just do. You know, yep. like, like they could they could just sort of query up uh, the crime Google that tells you in the matter of like 20 minutes sort of if anyone matches the wounds that are on this mummy. Now, Angela informs us that Booth has also checked the national stolen art file and there were no reports on missing mummies. Hmm. Well, uh, it looks like this one's a head scratcher, folks. <laughs> I would note at this point that the National Stolen Art File is a real thing. Mm-hmm. You can go to the FBI.gov website. Um, I note that if if you're looking at the like the the breadcrumb up the top, uh, it says this is in the category what we investigate, uh, followed by violent crime, mm-hmm. and art theft is a subcategory of violent crime. Uh-huh. Which I find quite interesting. It's, it's violence against... Um, it's violence against the sort of vibe of a room, I suppose. Hmm. Um, so, it is actually interesting to scroll through all the entries because there's a lot of, you know, very, very famous pieces of art by very famous artists. Um, so, you can have a scroll through there if, um, you know, familiarize yourself with some things. And then if you ever, like, get invited to a very rich person's uh, penthouse or anything, you can maybe do a citizen's arrest on them when you see mm-hmm. a stolen piece of artwork hanging up in their house. That's right. Now, again, though, there is, there is a search bar at the top uh, of that page where you can search for a title, maker, period, or description and filter by type of object. I would note that there is no entry for mummies under type of object. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, well, that's because they're non-stolen, because Bones is based on real life. That's true. If there were, they'd have to put the category in for it, but there isn't. Now, Angela also informs us that, quote, Booth questioned those eco-terrorist freaks. Yes, the terrorist freaks who put up a sign. Yep. <laughs> Uh, they said they found the mummy when they went dumpster diving. Ah, oh, it was Kristen Cinema. He, sa- <laughs> he says, apparently they thought it would be a good symbol. He said their story holds. There is so much in this show of people, ju- like a single character unilaterally declaring the validity of a suspect, a theory, an alibi, whatever it might be. 
Yeah, that's right. Just uh, just being like, well, I, I, hey, it was just being like, well, these terrorists, one uh, it's baseless accusation, didn't do it. <laughs> Another baseless exoneration. Yep. Angela really took us on a roller coaster ride. They said they found it in a dumpster, and that sounds right. Yep. <laughs> found it on the dumpster, put it on a fence to make a point. Case closed. So Hodgins informs us that the, uh, the weave pattern of the linen on the mummy suggests that this was a, quote, top-notch embalming. Yeah, a real tip-top tip do- job embalming there, buddy. Ooh, just a five re- stars on just- eBay for this embalming. <laughs> just re- real top-fucking-knackers, buddy. I don't know why he would know this. He's the bug research guy. Yeah. Well, it's just like Hodgins and Angela both just, again, have like magic amounts of knowledge about whatever needs, whatever they need to know about. Um, Yeah. yeah. It's great. Oh, we'll we'll get another good example of that later. Just fucking wheeling that archaeology knowledge, buddy. Oh, yeah, but just fucking wheeling it. So I've been watching (laughs) a lot of Canadian TV and I'm just really love, I'm getting really nostalgic for Canada. Watching because some old just, Hot Hanson shows. Yeah, well, don't just just because of the um, it's it, this is just different different TV, but it's just because because the way character the way Canadians talk is just really I think it's very charming. Um, we like to shorten things. We love to mm-hmm. say we 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 say a lot of the word buddy. We'd say, oh yeah, buddy came over and asked me for a dart outside Timmy's, but he was wheeling my he was wheeling my sweetie. <laughs> so I fucking roughed him up, eh, bud? Oh, buddy, you Ugh. fucking roughed the fuck out of him, bud. And so on. It's great. What a great it's country. <laughs> language is a beautiful thing, isn't it? Uh, sorry. Anyway. Um, so what I, what I really enjoyed, right, is that, yeah, they're like, oh, anyway, I, can, I did some mummy math to find out that this mummy was one of the top mummies. It's like the Lexus of mummies. The Ferrari <laughs> of mummies. Um, there is a hole in the mummy's chest, which mm-hmm. they then speculate that maybe there was something in there. And maybe mm-hmm. that thing was treasure. Hey, that's a motive to kill somebody. <laughs> Let's proceed on that basis. That is a motive to murder a person that we cannot find or prove has died. Yeah, there was blood, there was blood splatter on the mummy that looks like it might have been arterial. Could it have been animal blood? No chance. Uh, could, could let's start a murder investigation and let's assume that we have a motive based on the fact that we think there might have been treasure inside the mummy. Hart Hansen. Yeah, they 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 don't even have a body. They don't have a murder victim. They have a three thousand year old corpse with somebody's blood on it, and they're like, "Haha, we have established a motive for murder." <laughs> Now all we need is a victim and a suspect. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Can we play the Wild Assumption Stinger, please? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes. The assumptions are becoming wild. Um, yeah, I thought that uh, assumptions gone wild. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's just a premise lifting up its shirt that just and uh, instead of boobs it just says uh, motive and opportunity uh, but <laughs> that's it um, also I like that uh, Bones and Daisy are portrayed as uh, nerding out at one another about oh my god we're going to be featured on the cover of Anthropology magazine if we find that there was buried treasure inside this mummy as part of this murder investigation uh, Bones absolutely giddy says I love ancient remains. Yeah, I'm always saying that. Beauty, right there. 
So, um, yeah, they're having a poke around in there. And meanwhile, back at uh, Booth's office... Just having a fucking squiz. <laughs> assistant <laughs> Director Oswald has returned. That's what you sound like. Well, having a fucking squiz inside this bloody mummy, eh? Oh, just wanted to see if there was a budding snag. Somebody's, somebody's bloody hacked him up here. Oh, somebody's they fucking digging around. Oh, they've been digging around. I could park me, me ute in that chest cavity. No one to park the unit chest cavity. Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's you won't be able not to. Big d- enough. Hey, I bet Bill Shorten wants to put all the nation's utes in chest cavities. <laughs> uh, so, Assistant Director Oswald has returned to Booth's <laughs> office to yell at him for waking up a Nobel laureate to ask him about a mummy. Yeah. Um, he's he's very angry when he comes into the office, uh, and then uh, Booth says, "Yes." There is a mummy, and he says, "A mummy." You field agents have all the fun. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, just just like somewhat, just clearly, just a poorly programmed robot who's just yeah. gotten who's gotten his subroutines fucked up. Yeah, perf- just a perfect right job here. Just absolutely stunning writing. Um, straight from. You've, this I'm is very your last. W- this is your last warning, Booth. If you get another Nobel laureate out of bed with a crank call about a mummy. It's going to be your badge. But, sir, there is a mummy. Oh, a mummy. Cool. Oh, in that case. No, he actually says, a mummy. Damn. I actually <laughs> wrote that down. That's what he says. A mummy. Damn. <sighs> Damn. You field agents have all the fun. Good luck. And then leave. <laughs> anyway, goodbye. <laughs> I love that. Meanwhile. I, I love that they portray entire conversations. Like, good filmmaking, good, good writing and stuff will portray a conversation as in parts. It'll portray it either partway through, just towards the end, a middle, it'll cut throughout. It won't Not just portray a whole conversation as starting and finishing in 45 seconds. There is a lot of people walking into a room to start the conversation and walking out at the end to finish it in this, isn't there? Absolutely. It makes me think of like, um, I assume that you are familiar with um, Red Letter Media. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're very, very long breakdowns of the Star Wars prequels. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, uh, there's a lot of focus on just how, how stilted and unfortunate and expositional all of the conversations in those movies are. And there's a lot of that here. Uh, everything is somebody walks in, states the nature of the conversation, mm-hmm. uh, one, two shots over the shoulder until the conversation concludes and then they leave. Yeah, that's right. And I hate, that's my favorite kind of filmmaking. So, um, Montenegro of the fantastical iPad that can render all of your thoughts and dreams in an instant. Uh, and Sweets are uh, hanging out in the office watching uh, classic Hammer Horror, Boris Karloff's The Mummy on yeah. the big screen. The big that's computer. Right. And they're, Apparently they're taking not- taxpayer money to do it. Yeah, not only can this thing um, be used to render evidence that can frame a person in real time, uh, but it can also play movies. So, uh, they're, they're still kind of shitting on Sweets' girlfriend, um, you know, and, and how awkward she is and everything uh, with, mm-hmm. uh, with, with Angela saying, he's Daisy's trainer. If she attacks, he can put her down. Is, she, is cool. he going to shoot her? What the don't fuck? Be, don't be ridiculous. He's going to give her the injection of, of the green stuff. Okay, like, and she will, she will go to sleep right there on the floor. 
Yeah, so I guess this is the C plot. I can't tell which is the B plot and which is the C plot of the two non-murder plots. I think this, this is, is a C. the C plot. Yeah, where it's like, is Sweets trying to bang Daisy or train her like a dog? It's just mm-hmm. very odd. Uh, but I do know one thing, which is that the show, uh, the worst idea of all time, uh, they have a shot because I, I'm, I don't know if our listeners are familiar with the worst idea of all time. It's pretty. It's a good show uh, where two... Um, Two comedians watch and review the same bad movie uh, once a week uh, for a year. So they do like Sex in the City 2 or Cats or whatever. And they always say they have a shining light, which is one moment where they were like, I don't hate this one element. <laughs> there is a moment of good show that peeks oh. through when Bones does the Karloff impression. I'm like, oh, yes. I think that's yes. actually kind of fun. I think that actually shows something about her character. They've, accident- they've accidentally made her uh, interesting and relatable for a moment. Um, and however, uh, it's just, yeah. However, they ruin it just before that. When, uh, Bones comes in, she does do the impression uh, of the mummy. Uh, she comes in, says that the mummy was decapitated, asks Angela to do a facial reconstruction, handing him, uh, handing her the head on a tray. Perhaps we can match his face to an Egyptian coffin painting. Cause that would be great evidence, wouldn't it? We've done yeah, a, that's just what, bo- what you can do. This, you, a bogus facial reconstruction iPad. of a 3,000 year old corpse's head and then we will look at other pictures and say does this face kind of look like a painting of this face um, and she turns around and says oh the mummy 1932 to which Cam replies you don't know who Britney Spears is but you know this movie yeah, God damn. 2009 you don't 2009. even own a TV Bones Ten years after Britney Spears became famous. <laughs> um, but Bones also says, uh, it's the film that made me want to be an anthropologist. 1932's The Mummy. Yeah, very, very, very sort of uh, uh, strains of I was born in the wrong, wrong decade. I love old movies and old music stuff here. So, um... So Daisy and Bones are looking at this corpse and suddenly they're getting on like a house on fire because they're both uh, extremely focused on this stuff and socially awkward and everything. Um, But it's time for a bit of science and assumptions. Scientific speculation. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. Bones looks and says, uh, there's an extra metacarpal on the ulna side, likely caused by the high incidence of inbreeding among Egyptian royals, to which Daisy replies, it could just be a single gene mutation. Bones says, or it could be one feature of a syndrome of congenital anomalies. Mm -hmm. Bring up the x-rays of the forearm. There, the ulna is bowed. (laughs) Yep, and there's no other way that could have happened. Nope. Uh, Nope. To which Daisy replies... Antley Bixler syndrome, a recessive congenital disorder characterized by malformations of the skeleton and the skull. Uh, which gets Bones very excited. She says, I have identified this mummy because I know the backstory of every mummy from ancient Egypt. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's just, again, plot, just plot brain. She does then do the acting out of the aforementioned movie, The Mummy. Um, and says that this mummy's name is Anok, the boy with the bleeding heart. 
Um, yep, and right. very, very conveniently for the plot and the extremely lazy writers, a knock is meant to be right here at the Jeffersonian Institute of Sexual Harassment on loan from the Egyptian government. What a coincidence. Ah, well, how good. It's, it's a good thing all these murders keep taking place within driving distance of the Jeffersonian and that all the evidence also is based on events happening within driving distance of the Jeffersonian. Perhaps the common factor is that the Jeffersonian is, staff are committing all these crimes and then making up wild stories dependent on members of the public. I reckon it's, um, uh, it's probably like that the Jeffersonian is sitting on some sort of intersection of all of like the ley lines that direct the Earth's energies. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, and so these, these types of incidents take place very uh, close to them. That's probably it. I think that's it. But speaking of the Jeffersonian, um, I've got another uh, Bones is a precocious 13-year-old. Or this is more like a precocious 8-year-old line. Oh, yes. Yes. I where, think I know where this is going. Which is where they're... So they go to investigate uh, the room where this mummy is being studied before it's to be exhibited. And the, like, junior researcher guiding them through says, I mean, the Anaka exhibit starts tomorrow, so I doubt he'd just get up and walk out of there. Then Bones just said, oh, well, actually, reanimation is technically impossible. Thank you, Bones. Cool. Once again, once again, we all thought that the mummy was out there committing murders. Yeah. We all thought that this inanimate object shuffling around and killing people. There is a way to write a sort of um, highly literal, slightly socially awkward character that doesn't just make her sound like the your worst nephew, and yet e- here it Egon is. Egon in Ghostbusters. Yeah. You know? That's yeah. how you can do it with a, a bit of charm. Like, I guess maybe the problem is that, like... Uh, I feel like because this is a lead in a network TV show, they also kind of want the character to be fuckable, and it's not happening. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's kind of a prerequisite, whereas you didn't need Egon in the Ghostbusters to be fuckable at all. Even though he was the central point. I thought that was the central point of Ghostbusters, is that it's a vehicle to see Egon shirtless. Yes, finally. (laughs) Um, Also, another another, uh, moment that I noted here is that they knock on the door to the office in the museum where the doctor was studying the mummies. There's no response for two seconds, and then Booth just boots it down. He immediately kicks the door in uh, with no no warrant or anything, and Bones is visibly horny about this. Yeah, absolutely. I just, just really, just a a real, a, a real picture of this sort of sex and death drives right there. Oh, yeah. So they go in and start poking around. There's the sarcophagus. Would you look at that? There's a bunch of bloody blood dripping out of the bottom of it. Oh, do we finally have a body for this murder show 20 minutes in? Finally. Uh, so Booth gets right in there and starts ripping this ancient sarcophagus open. And there's the curator, Dr. Caswell, dead uh, with a great big wound in her eye. Oh, there's she's the, freaking the, dead. There's the customary uh, gross shot of a murder victim once per episode. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Don't watch this show while having dinner, folks. Yep. And uh, then everybody goes, oh, bloody hell. Oh, she got freaking madded. (laughs) (laughs) Australian Bones is a show I would very much like to watch. Oh, Oh, Bines. Oh, Oh, Bines. Fuck me dead. Oh, it's bloody gross. Oh, it's, it's, it's awful. 
I mean, I'm making Australia sound British, but still. It's bloody I just, awful. <laughs> I know, it's bloody awful here in Canberra. Um, I was say. actually, throughout the entire episode, I was repeating to my girlfriend, Oh, Bynes? B- Bynes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, freaking Bynes! Oh, um, you're a we fan of watching. the show, Bynes? <laughs> Uh, I was watching with my wife the television show Grand Designs. Um, I do not know if you are familiar with the house building slash hubris show. Oh, I absolutely am. Yeah. Um, And it was an episode about an Irish couple that had chosen to build a house um, right out in the Irish countryside. And I just, I was just hearing over and over again the uh, the Irish couple saying, "House, house, <laughs> house, too too expensive to build a house." And I was just like, "Oh, I can't can't hear this word anymore." I'm sure I'm not even doing it justice anymore. But yeah. my goodness, the house, the house of binds. <laughs> No, it's, it's the it's the it's the it's a mashup of Grand Designs and Australian Bones. It takes place in in Canberra, and a bunch of house renovators keep find keep finding remains and have to solve crimes. There's there's bones in this house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so my uh, goodness. Ba- pulling us back on track a little bit yes. This weapon entered the eye And then they draw a bunch of wild conclusions about what it was For example saying well It was this long, it was this, it was this wide It has this kind of edging and so on and so on It's like maybe you could draw some of those conclusions But they um They're just like well that's enough investigation of the murder weapon We're gonna just put this information In our memory banks and draw a wild conclusion Based on it later yeah, they um, Hodgins has identified some metal shavings in the chest cavity of the mummy, and they have all then wildly assumed that this is the same item that was used to murder Doctor Caswell, the curator. That's right. Uh, somehow. Mm-hmm. So we then get a bit of um, wild speculation about different departments who have been vying for funding and getting mad, and we are informed that uh, Doctor Wheaton from another department has been very jealous of her mm-hmm. potentially getting funding if she were, for example, to make some kind of big discovery. Uh, it is at this point that Hodgins enters and says, the urine of a red-headed boy. God, the writing is so good. It's so tight, you know. The urine of a red-headed boy. And everybody goes, <laughs> makes DreamWorks face. So it's time for some science where Hodgins informs them ancient metal workers turned iron into steel by accident. They accidentally carburized the iron while heating it over charcoal, thus turning it into low-grade steel. But they thought that it was the mode of quenching the molten metal that hardened it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a little red-headed boy pissing on the molten metal is what they thought did it. Yeah. Hodgins says, the iron turns to steel and our ancient metal worker figured that the little redhead did the trick. It's an instant old wives' tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, to which Angela says, I didn't know they had redheads in ancient Egypt. And Hodgson says, they didn't. It <gasps> was in ancient Rome. Our murder dun, weapon was dun, forged dun. in ancient Rome. Boy, Dr. Wheaton, the head of Rome business, <laughs> is looking pretty guilty right now. Yeah, because of some really hard evidence that we were able to discern based on every all of these cops just happening to all be like, what, P- 
PhD level experts in ancient metalsmithing in the Mediterranean. Well, once again, though, these are the the metal fragments that they got out of the mummy, mm. not out of the murder victim. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. So God, this um, show is so good. Yes. We're back in the car for a bit of classic Bones and Booth car talk. <sighs> classic Bones and Booth. I love when they talk in the car. It really humanizes the characters as they just sort of say the feelings that they have. Mm, this is this one's a nice a nice um, encapsulation of car talk where Bones says, Dr. Wheaton's department has a very extensive collection of Roman tools, chisels, lathes, planes, files. And Booth says, eggheads killing each other over exhibits no one really wants to see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he knows what the fuck is up. So, uh, so they front up on Dr. Wheaton um, at his Rome business, uh, looking at old Roman stuff place. Um, they're walking around and Bones looks at a bench and says, A gouge is missing, Dr. Wheaton, an early steel scalprum. And she looks at a little card that is helpfully in the place where it was missing from, describing mm-hmm. the tool, which... When you think about it, the likelihood that if a tool has gone missing, that there would be a card left in its place describing the exact dimensions of said tool doesn't actually seem that likely when you think about it for, say, the amount of time it takes to write an episode. Um, Mm -hmm. She reads the card that says, 25 centimeters long, blunt end, 2 centimeters wide. That could definitely be the murder weapon. (gasps) Well, it's time to, it, it is time now uh, to make some more wild assumptions. Oh, yeah. Now, we started off in this episode with um, this mummy has some blood on it. Therefore, I assume there is a dead person somewhere. Uh, then we got to the mummy also has some bits of metal in it. I assume that the bits of metal came from the same thing that was used to kill the person that we eventually found. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we have arrived at the point where forensics is basically finding something that is a similar shape and size to a hole and saying this could fit into the murder hole. Mm-hmm. Therefore, well, that's it. Uh, therefore, Sherlock Holmes hat goes on. <laughs> and they never say like... Um, hey, we have found the murder weapon in this show specifically. They don't say, like, this is the murder weapon or this is the motive. They just say, hey, I guess this could be it, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess maybe this, this could be a motive. You, If you guys think that's cool, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they found some, some bits of stuff inside the mummy. Um, and... This is another perfect example of just writing something in to somebody's mm-hmm. backstory because it assists the plot ever so slightly. Oh, yeah. So, they've, they've found some bits of stuff and they're like, huh, you know, well, one of these things is from a plant, one's a bit of bone, one's a bit of something else, mm-hmm. um, one's a bit of insect. So, oh, three like, different things. Then Angela's like... Things. They're actually the same thing. I remember when I was in art school, which is what I did before I became the CIA technology, the FBI technology magician. Uh, that this is what the ancient Egyptians would make paint out of. Says Woad, Kermes, insect, and bone were all used by the ancient Egyptians to make paint. 
I learned this when I was in art school. Mm-hmm. That's what Remember they teach when you school. went to art school and they told you about what ancient Egyptians made paint out of? Me yeah. too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <sighs> and then she's ju- and then she just says, "Well, of course, based on these trace paint flakes and compression marks inside the chest cavity, I'm going to do some more computer magic to make whatever was there, uh, a- a- to make a perfect 3D rendering of whatever was there." Love it. Love it. Absolutely. Now, at this point, a sinister Arab arrives. To Ode music. There's just there's Ood music played in the background as well as soon as she comes in. It's great. She's introduced as Azita Jabari from the Egyptian National Museum, who says, Hey, we have not authorized any invasive or investigative procedures on a knock. The boy with the bleeding heart goes back to Cairo today, unless you would like to start a feud between our two governments. Uh, actually, it's also good to note here that uh, the boy with the bleeding heart is called such because there's some uh, ancient ancient story about how uh, Anak killed his brother um, while they were out riding their horses together by trampling him with, with their horse. And then his head was cut off by his father. Um, for being a dick. For being a douchebag. Uh, which is about as much evidence as they ever do anything with on the show Bones. Yeah. Yeah. Um. She also informs them that she has granted Dr. Caswell's request to perform CAT scans on a knock, and those films should be in Dr. Caswell's files. Um, And they're like, huh. So they interview the guy who was working with Caswell, uh, who we met earlier when Booth was kicking the door. Mm -hmm. Um, It turns out that he suggested the CAT scans, but he didn't even know that she went through with them in the end, and they should theoretically be in his files, in her Mm -hmm. files. Sorry. That's right. Hey, because we're in Washington, it must be time for Bones to go on a date at the Founding Fathers Bar and Grill. <laughs> the, that's of the two restaurants they ever go to. It's the Founding Fathers Bar and Grill and the same coffee shop. Uh, now, of course, part of Booth's concerns about the dating were that they would talk about him the whole time. And that would be mm-hmm. awkward. Um. So, after bringing Booth up, Bones immediately says that she would prefer not to talk about Booth. Um, Deputy Director Oswald says, you're far more interesting a topic than Booth. Uh, Bones (laughs) says, I'd like to know more about the story behind your guitar. Not many FBI directors have a Stratocaster in their office, to which he very condescendingly says, I'm impressed. You know a Stratocaster. Yeah, cool. <laughs> One of the most famous guitars ever. Um, yeah, so, yeah but wow. the only reason she knows about it is because she <laughs> had a victim who was beaten to death with one, but it's still played. It is an excellent instrument. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Thank you, Bones. Just reminding us that you have no knowledge of anything other than murder and all the stuff you need to um, to investigate any particular murder, but you have no knowledge of anything outside uh, what's required for you to know by the plot. No, it's all completely incidental. It was all come by way of some other murder investigation. Mm-hmm. So, um, she has to go. There's important evidence. Um, and she, she leaves, but they commit to having dinner on Friday night, at which point Assistant Director Oswald says, sure, and I will then reveal the secret of the Stratocaster, which mm-hmm. is the sexiest thing anybody has ever said. Yes, indeed. So um, we're back at the we're back at the Jeffersonian, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the, Angela, inst- the Medical Criminal Institute for Sexual Harassment. Yes. That's right. And uh, Angela is like, hey, why didn't you tell me you were on a date? Um, and Bones is like, we're just having drinks. And Angela, again, has to be like, I'm celibate. Yeah. Tell I'm me celibate. about your sex life, my direct but, superior at work. There's no nine-year-olds here for me to talk to about how I'm not fucking anybody right now, <laughs> like in the last episode. So, I need you to tell me about who you are thinking about fucking, because apparently I don't know what pornography is, I've never mm-hmm. masturbated, Mm-mm. never encountered a sex toy, anything like uh, that. Oh, also, a small small thing. Uh, additionally, they, they do talk about Booth briefly, who says that he never has meatloaf with an egg in it because his mother used to say it was a human eye. This will come up later. Yes. Yes. Very normal reasons to not want mm-hmm. to eat the meatloaf. Uh, of course, she says it like she's having a fond memory of her own boyfriend, mm-hmm. uh, which is a cool thing to do on a date. So, uh, must be time for an incredulous reconstruction by Angela. Mm-hmm. Let's do now, it. Now, here, we, she, she pulls up the, the big computer, the super iPad, and says, <clears throat> The paint residue that she learned about in art school was found inside the compacted area inside a Knox chest. Now, I laid a grid over that area. Next, Hodgins inspected each section of the grid for chemical residue, assigning values based on our color differential. It was kind of like paint by numbers. Bones looks at her like she's a big fucking idiot and also doesn't know what paint by numbers means. (laughs) And she says, bone for white, Kermie's insect for red, and woad for indigo. Now I reshaped, refined, and cropped the edges. And Mm -hmm. finally, Mm -hmm. I removed the grid. I'm following you, Angela. That's right. So, she has basically created a model of an object that was inside the chest that had a bunch of hieroglyphs carved on it. They're like, cool, we can now read something from this. This is like from, you know, where it's been impressed into this 3,000-year-old flesh. Very much a thing that you would be able to read. Reading reading hieroglyphs in moments based on... um, a compression in a conca- in a chest concavity um, that is thousands of years old and reconstructed well, on the basis of magic. Not even from a compression. It's from a. Uh, it's from the transfer of paint that was inside, that was on the object that was pressed pressed up against the flesh. Just yeah. absolutely ridiculous. So, mm-hmm. before she leaves, uh, Angela turns back to her and goes, "Sex." Like a big freaky child. Yeah, that's what I. That's I, I don't know. That's how I say goodbye to work colleagues. Yep. Uh, well, Bones isn't sex. having it. Yeah. Instead, she says, uh, "Send this to Doctor Babajanian in ancient languages." That's right. Yeah, cool. Uh, and she's like, "Please tell me about touching tell me about through the their dick. pants or something." Tell me something. I just did. You see an especially erotic piece of. of of wood carving anything i'm just so horny it's my character way too horny uh but daisy shows up to inform some people that a courier has dropped off the memory chip from the cat scan machine that dr mm-hmm. caswell used uh yeah. to make the the images out of an ox chest yep they call it the plot schedule yep uh she's also mad at sweets for for being there and seemingly trying to supervise what she's doing but that whole conversation is very interesting. Yes. 
So they look at the picture of what's inside the chest. Uh, Cam says, can you, magic word, enhance it? Mm-hmm. Can you Hodgson make says, a wild assumption of what this might say? It's crystalline in structure. <gasps> it's a corundum in the trigonal crystal system. That's right. That's perfect. And the hexagonal scalenohedral class. Hey, speak English, egghead. It's a yeah. giant ruby. <laughs> Again, as this is this is only realistic because I guess police do often use a bunch of ma- of over technical language, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's right. They're like, wow, we've I could used this blotch to identify that it was a giant ruby, and it's it's his bleeding heart. Therefore, the nickname. Wonderful. We are making discoveries and changing the world. Now, here's the thing, Andrew. There is approximately five to ten minutes left in this episode of Bones, and we don't really have anything close to a story of who could possibly have done this murder. We'd we'd better rush through some more (laughs) plot then. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for some, I guess, word association. Yes. Well, they, they, of course, they immediately start accusing the lady from the Egyptian government of stealing it because she knew mm-hmm. about the CAT scans. And she says, well, number one, I was in a different city <laughs> at a party where everyone could see me. Uh, fuck you. So they show mm-hmm. the hieroglyphics um, and she takes a look and she says that it's a signature. It's a message from the Pharaoh's wife. Um, she says, my heart bleeds for my guiltless son. So Which it's Bone time says, to solve two murders. Two Welcome murders. to it's the twofer. Bone Welcome says, this, to the D plot. <laughs> this could change history. We now have the ability to determine Metty's cause of death. An um, I can have his remains brought over from the Natural History Museum in New York. Uh, and Bones is like, hey, I thought we were doing a murder investigation over here of this actual lady that just got killed. Um, and Bones is like, no, it's not going to help with that murder case, but it could exonerate a knock. There can be no time limit for justice, Booth. Except, of course, with all of the various statutes of limitations that apply to different crimes in the U.S. where there is literally a time limit for justice. Yeah, I wonder uh, what the statute of limitations is on a murder that took place over 3,000 years ago on the other side of the planet. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, none, apparently. wonder how the jurisdiction goes. Um... So, Assistant Director Oswald comes back to Booth to ask for some advice about boning bones. Mm-hmm. Um, he's worried that she's only dating him because of his position, his powerful position, the power imbalance. Um, mm-hmm. He is reassured that Bones is too socially fucked up to do mm-hmm. anything, uh, to be pressured into doing anything due to someone's position of authority. Um, he's also concerned that maybe like Booth and Bones had something going on. And Booth is like, no, 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 strictly professional. Mm-hmm. He's only concerned about this because he doesn't want to like cut Booth's grass, not because it would be hugely unprofessional yeah. for the two it's, of them to be school. sleeping with each other. The Jeffersonian Medical Criminal uh, Institute for Sexual Harassment has all of the social rules and uh, conventions of a high school. Yes. Yeah, where our Booth is a football player, Bones is kind of a, a brainy nerd, and then Angela is like a, a quirky art student. It's the breakfast club, but for police propaganda. Also, yeah. I like that when Booth is singing Bones' praises, the writers has put in this fucking 
stinker of a line. That's just what makes her bones. That's just what makes bones bones. bones. God damn it. Um, so apparently, you know, it's fine. It's fine to fuck your colleague that you're working with in your own team. It's fine to fuck the, the partner of somebody who is a direct subordinate of yours. These are things are all cool as mm-hmm. long as nobody was already dating when you swooped in. And crucially, uh, Booth mentioned Booth, uh, Oswald tells Booth, by the way, you don't eat eggs in your meatloaf. Bo- Bones and I spoke about that. And he's like, oh, a betrayal. Betrayal. Um, he so actually they, brings an egg to Bones, which I don't know how he got in the Jeffersonian Medico Criminal Institute for Sexual no. Harassment. Uh, he's like, brings an egg to him, uh, to her. And it's just like, yeah, you talked about me. I said not to talk about me. <laughs> what does this egg. fucking egg mean to you, you bitch? <laughs> cool. <laughs> Look at this egg and tell me what is in your heart. I, I love that they just try to give these characters depth just by... Just, it's, it's like Garfield. It's just when you think about it, it has a random set of characteristics. Like he's a cat who loves lasagna and hates Mondays. And then everything's just based on that. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, uh, let's give Booth another sort of weird, per- weird quirk of his history to try and make him a three-dimensional character. <laughs> I, I don't want people to talk about my egg incident. Never talk about my egg incident. Anyway, there's like five minutes left of the episode and they still don't know anything. So they they find a fingerprint on the mummy, which I guess they just didn't find earlier, which is the ancient Roman antiquities director. (gasps) I I don't know how they figure that out, Mm -hmm. um, but they go back. How do they have his prints on file? But also, how could you even determine like that something was a fingerprint? You know, off of a 3,000-year-old piece of linen. Yeah. That, well, thi- hey. that thing that fingerprints famously transfer to really well. well. They said that it had grease on it, so was he dipping his hands in grease and then, you know, fondling it? Ah, well, he is the director of Roman antiquities. He's probably been touching a lot of ancient spaghetti, <laughs> uh, a lot of really right. oily stuff, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so they- go ahead, go ahead. Oh, so they start, so they they pull in Doctor Wheaton and they interview him. And they're like, "Suspect, you're the suspect now. We really need a suspect. <laughs> we have uh, minutes to finish this case." <laughs> and he admits. Uh, he says, "I did go to see her that night. I had been a dick. I was jealous about her getting the grant money. I want to apologize. Uh, we made up, and she wanted to show me a knock, scientist to scientist, because that's what the show's about." Mm-hmm. Uh, she opened his coffin, and the mummy slipped out. And I just, I grabbed. I, I stopped short and I grabbed the mummy, just a reflex. Mm. Um, and they're like, oh, so I guess she showed you, uh, you, you destroyed the scans of, the, of the, big, the big ruby. And he was like, no, no, the scans are in her notes. She showed them to me and then she submitted them. And they were mm. like, what? The scans were supposed to be submitted to some other doctor? Uh, and then they pulled this guy in again, who's only the been in the episode for about... Two minutes, this administrator yep. who who initially pointed to Dr. Wheaton, uh, who immediately, without being pressed at all, completely confesses to the whole crime. Because that's what you got to do when you got 60 seconds left in the episode. Yep. And also, I love that he's like, I, I had to toot this murder because I lost my retirement in the market. Yes, that was my favorite part, too. He says, I saw the CAT scans. I was going to sneak in, take the ruby and close him up again. But she came back. We argued. You know... I lost my retirement in the market. 
Or as it has previously been referred to in this show, the financial mess. <laughs> I love it. I love that they try to make it relevant to 2008 by being like, you know, the, the, the economy. It reminds you know, me of how I used to work in a, in a men's... Did I tell you this? That I used to work in a men's clothing store when I was like a, a child. Like a <laughs> no. fine menswear store. And um, the guy who, who owned it, a guy called Tony Zappacosta, who is the brother of lounge crooner Alfie Zappacosta, uh, okay. gathered everyone together and said, um, you know, in and made a speech about the economy that said, you know, in these economic times, as though yes. these times were particularly economic... <laughs> In these these times more than any others, there are so much economics happening. Economics everywhere you look. Uh, much like the beginning of an episode of Law and Order, you cannot go anywhere without accidentally discovering a big, cold pile of economics. That's right. So uh, this guy just immediately with no pressure says, oh, I totally fucking killed it. Oh, yeah, you got me. You You yep. got the fuck out of me. You got me. Um, and they're like, cool, A plot, done. Murder <laughs> solved. Off. Murder solved. It was the administrator. Murder that we to... were barely interested in solved. Now let's let's close up some of the other plots. All uh, right, we got we to gotta wrap up the shitty C plot real quick. Yeah. Uh, Sweets shows up to say, I'm sorry for being a controlling dick to his girlfriend. Uh, sorry for treating you like a dog that I was attempting to train. They then immediately drop to the floor and fuck in the museum. You know, it's, it's on a bed. There's just a bed that they fall onto. Yeah, it's, I was I was just like, is there a crash mat on the ground right well, there for well, them to if it's just? The, if it's the Jeffersonian Insti Medico Criminal Institute for Sexual Harassment, there have to be beds all over the place. Every, every other room is just, um, <laughs> just oh. mattresses scattered around on the floor. We we also uh, solve they, we also solve the D plot. Uh, where it turns out Metty had brittle bone disease. He fell off his horse and died. A double murder solve. Congra and Bones. Then, and as a result of that, Bones is thrown a huge banquet, like a party by the Egyptian government for solving a murder of 3,000 years ago. And then I've captured the dialogue that Bones and Booth have while standing in the exhibition room before things are due to start. Well, I would um, note. I would note that before... Before they have this uh, sexually charged encounter, uh, Booth is like, oh, man, I hate this kind of event or whatever. And um, and she's like, hey, oh, no, he's like, we shouldn't be back here before before the event actually kicks off. And she's like, hey, you're with me. This is my find. Like, yeah, fuck the lady who actually found the big ruby in the chest and got murdered for it. And fuck your team who actually put together all of their highly speculative evidence, re revealing like the hieroglyphs on the thing and all that sort of stuff. Um, fuck the, all the stuff that Daisy figured out and everything. It's your find, young Sheldon, and you should take 100% of the, the credit for it and get to be on the cover of Anthropologist Monthly and have a yeah, big party. Right. You should be the, you should be the, the, the centerfold in Anthropology Monthly. Yes. Uh, so I, I've captured some of the dialogue here, which is Bones says, I have to speak, but I'm no good at these things. Booth says, you're great at these things. You changed history. How many people can say that? Bones, you can. Every arrest you make changes history. You make the world safer. Booth, with your help. And that every every arrest you make where you just like, yeah, set up some like 18 year old Muslim to like, you know, try and 
trying to like you know do nine eleven two by just like you know prodding and and cajoling him into doing it and then arresting him for the crime you set him up for makes the world safer. Thank you very much, Special Agent Seely Booth. Fuck off. Well, of course, this the, the wheeling right back around at the start of the episode. Uh, this all plays into this worldview that any action that an FBI agent takes in the course of a wonderfully speculative investigation must be the right thing. Um, we're, we're wildly assuming that we exist in a world where there are no appeals in the criminal justice system, uh, where nobody gets to go back to court and say, hey, uh, they base this whole thing off guessing the shape of a hole. Like, <laughs> they, base, they base this whole thing off paint transference from a 3,000-year-old thing. Like, yeah. You know, the, sure there's nonsense. there's no uh, like uh, apart from um, apart from yeah all of the all of the obvious massive problems and everything they just they just point at people and go I reckon you did it and then they <laughs> convince charge me them, you didn't yeah and they throw them in jail and like you know of course maybe sometimes it's wrong but no every arrest you make changes history. By making the world safer. I mean, I guess you could say that, yeah, I guess, I guess it does change history, just maybe, you know, not by making the world safer. It might do some contradiction heightening. That's about it. It is a wonderful case of cop propaganda, and throughout this conversation, they are edging closer to each other as mild sexual tension crackles across the screen. Um, and of course, just before they kiss each other, literally the entire staff of the Jeffersonian Institute for Sexual Harassment comes in all at the same time and says, we are all also here at the party, <laughs> ruining your kiss. Ah, uh, yes. Lovely. And then the episode is over. Uh, another, another one for the bone file. My God, it's just, as we said earlier, it is wonderful to watch them start with the premise uh, and then just say, well, I guess we're going to have to do something with this <laughs> over the course of the next 40 minutes and then we'll get to the end and we'll say, oh, I guess. Oh, yeah, we have to turn this into a show, don't we? We have to hey. figure out which which character from a previous scene did the thing. But also, I, I must I must take my leave as a matter of slight urgency, I'm afraid. So I think I'm going to have to say that does it for this episode of the Boney Island Whitefish. Thanks for stopping by, and we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. 